You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I'm Glenn Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Jamie Jennings in Norman, Oklahoma. You're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for Wednesday, February 28th, episode 3375. Ah, Wednesday, the day we cover Glenn's favorite topic, (laughs) horse health. And Jamie makes you feel better about yourself with the latest weird news from around the world. Happy Wednesday. That's right. Happy Wednesday, everybody. But I've got to tell you what, Wednesday's being awful to some places in the country. We've got uh, massive fires across Texas. We have 50 to 60 degree temperature drops last night across the Midwest. Did you get that? Oh, my gosh. First of all, the, the western Oklahoma is on fire as well. And last night, yesterday, it was 85 degrees. And this morning, it was 17. Ooh. That must yeah. have been some winds. <laughs> it was so much wind. I have like all these blankets that are organized and hung up over blanket racks in my barn. And they have these like nice benches on either side. All of it was blown over. All the blankets were, I walked in my barn. It looked like Zeus had gotten out. Okay. Like everything <laughs> is turned even live over. There anymore. <laughs> I know everything's turned over. The blankets have been blown off. The benches were all upside down. And there's those giant wooden benches. So I, it is just crazy. Yeah, I know. And, and they had tornadoes in Michigan and up, uh, up that way. So, wow. So be safe out there, everybody. Be safe. Hey, I have an important announcement. I have the results from the Florida Man Games. That's right. The Florida Man Games happened last Saturday. And get this, they sold 5,000 tickets. So it looks like there'll be a second Florida Man Games next year, and this will become an annual event. He was They charged, I think, $40, $45 a ticket. So the organizer was very happy with that. Uh, I, I love one of the quotes before I get to the uh, some of the winners. The organizer said uh, that typically in Florida Man stories, there are drugs and nudity. Yes, we have found that to be true. Uh, but he said the city frowned upon it when he asked to have drugs and nudity in the event. <laughs> so, so they kept it family friendly, uh, sort of. Um, so apparently the Star Spangled Banner was played on an electric guitar, and uh, there was a lot of beer consumed during this event. Big surprise. Um, and they did a numerous contents, contests, as we talked about. The first one, the first event, was James Gordon won it. He was from DeLand, Florida. And he wolfed down a plate loaded with barbecue, pork, and sausage in a fraction of a second before his nearest competitor. So it was basically an eat-as-fast-as-you-can gluttony contest. Sounds Florida to me. And he chugged a beer to celebrate. So he was very happy with that win. The theft simulation relay, which had competitors racing <laughs> while toting pairs of bicycles, <laughs> copper pipes, and catalytic converters, was won by Larry Donnelly. Now, he trained for the relay race by riding a bicycle around his neighborhood with a second bike strapped to his back. I would like to point out that <laughs> I did watch some of the post um, interviews, yes. <laughs> post event interviews, yeah. and all of these people that you're talking about look exactly like who you think they look like. <laughs> like they would look in their mugshot is what yeah, I thought. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there was no surprises here. 
by the way, old Larry said, I have absolute disregard for self-preservation. I will do anything, which is why he attributes himself the winner of that race. And they pretty- ask one guy, like, why, why do, what, what gives you like kind of the advantage here? Like, why do you think you're going to do well? He's like, I'm from Florida. I lived here my whole life. <laughs> I was like, okay, good okay. for you. And had half his teeth. Um, other events involved uh, contenders wrestling sumo style while holding pitchers of beer or running from actual sheriff's deputies while jumping fences and avoiding obstacles. Uh, I did see a little bit of that video. It was hilarious, too, because the sheriff's deputies are just what you would have pictured as well. Um, So they were very happy with the event. Apparently, it went off quite well. Everybody had a good time, and there was a lot of beer consumed. So uh, uh, we can look forward to that again next year. But I'm so proud of my state at this moment. I got to tell you. Way to go. Yeah, I am so proud. We have a couple auditor birthdays today. Nicole Mauser-Store, Kat Thompson, and horse husband Alex Kirsch, who I met in the past, came down to visit our house. I don't think he's an auditor, but he's a horse husband, so I'm giving him I'm giving him a happy birthday <laughs> <Sounds> anyway. <laughs> I have some awesome news. So, you know, a farm boy and I have been horse shopping for him, and... You know, he wanted to start an unstarted, mostly quarter horse type. Uh, I was like, let's get as little quarter horse as possible. And he wanted as much quarter horse as possible. And uh, so we've been shopping around and both of us have just been really frustrated looking for horses because, you know, horses in our price range are, you look for the diamond in the rough, but we found a lot of rough. Okay. Like not going to lie. So we had a uh, horse and hound horses come in for training a horse named Mesta Park, who is a 16 three hand gray gelding. He has a, had a chip removed out of his knee. So he's not, not going to be sound for jumping, but he's, Apparently good to go for whatever else we want to do. And it was, it was love, Glenn. It was love. And so now I will shop no more around <laughs> Oklahoma, avoiding tractor parts and fields. All and those good stories are not going to happen on the show now. Because sorry, because Barrett has officially adopted Mesta Park. So I'm really excited. Yay. Now, here's the kicker. He's a dapple gray. And now he's in my pasture with the other two dapple grays. And I look out. I don't know who the hell's out there. I'm like, what horse is that? I don't know. I need binoculars to look into my field so I can pick him apart. But yeah, he's at least bigger than the others, but he's real low key, like kind of bottom of the pecking order. So it's worked out really well. And so yesterday was he's 16, three. Oh, well, good. Because Barrett's like eight foot. Too, yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. So it worked out great, and so I'm excited. So another horse, non horse, got adopted, and another horse is going so to live in my field. I know. Well, <laughs> I, I was like, I, this horse looks like a big giant quarter horse. He is huge, like he's a big tank, and I think that was one of the things that appealed to him. And uh, so he asked me. You know, he was like, the last time I got a horse, it's because you said you would have adopted it, whether I did or not, which was Donnelly. And I was like, yeah, that's true. He goes, would you adopt this one? And I was like, no, no, because (laughs) what you want and what I want 
we've now branched off and are wanting different things. <laughs> it's like this, you wanted a quarter horse. I didn't want a quarter horse. You wanted an unstarted horse. I didn't want an unstarted horse. So we're kind of compromising, I guess, in the middle. But I'm really excited for him because he worked so hard with the horses here. But what's part of the education is getting these horses restarted off the track. But then then they leave. Yeah. And so he doesn't get to have that satisfaction with them after. Yeah. Yeah, We just get them going and get them prepped for other people and then they leave. So I think he's excited to do more than just a walk, truck, canter and trail ride, you know, kind of thing. So, uh, farm boy has a horse again. Yay. Yay! Congratulations, farm boy. I told him, I said, the cool thing about this is you have to work for me now for the rest of your life to pay for board. (laughs) So you can't leave ever. (laughs) Isn't he supposed to leave in a little while? Well, he'll leave for the summer because he's got an internship, but then he'll come back his one more year of school because I sneakily convinced him that he needed. I said, Barrett, don't you think, Farm Boy, don't you think that in your field that it would be best if you were, you know, like got some post education, what get get your, you know, masters in it, you know, and so he's in the master's program. (laughs) He bought it. He bought it. I'm sure he's uh, really sick school by now. <laughs> graduate school. That's what they call it. So he's yeah. in grad school now. And uh, so it, it bought me another year. Otherwise, he'd be leaving soon. But I was like, I don't know. I think in the fields of petro- petroleum engineering that a ma- probably grad school. Is- you're probably right, actually. I yeah. know. I'm always right, Glenn. I'm glad people are starting to realize it. <laughs> but anyway, couple- bought another well, year. Congratulations. Uh, we have a couple of guests coming up today. Catherine's going to join us to talk about importing horses from Europe for first-timers. And we have Dr. Claire coming up back on the show with us. She's been on numerous times before talking about what's better for winter warmth, alfalfa or grass hay. Plus, do we have some weird news later on? We might have a little bit. Not going to lie. <laughs> All right, good. Well, I, I have a couple of stories here before we get to our first guests. Uh, horse racing. Remember they started that uh, the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Authority a couple of years ago to help uh, regulate drugs and drug use across uh, tracks across the country. Also, you know, various safety programs and things they put in place. Well, we have our first year results for, for that now from 2023. And apparently they're saying that the tracks that were within their jurisdiction experienced 1.23 racing-related equine fatalities per 1,000 starts, which is much lower than tracks outside of its authority. So apparently the tracks that have adopted this and are a part of this are, are seeing much fewer deaths, and that's good news. That's what that's what they were put in place for. And it's a much lower rate than the Jockey Club's national rate, which includes all of the tracks that are not part of this oversight. Uh, so this is good news. Uh, they said that it's trending in the right direction. They, they're they still working on making other significant changes, but it's going the right direction anyway. So I just thought racing gets a lot of bad news. I thought I'd give it a bit of good news. Good. Also on the racing front, uh, on harness racing, the uh, they uh, announced the 2023 Horse of the Year winner, and uh, Confederate was last year's Horse of the Year. Now get this, Confederate won 13 of 15 races last season and earned $1.63 million, wow. which, which in harness racing is a lot. Yeah. In addition to leading the sports purses, it became the fastest three-year-old pacer in history thanks to his September race 
Place at Lexington's Red Mile, which is the most beautiful track in the country. I, I just love that old track. Um, we used to go there for all kinds of events, not just races, but I love that. I, I used to go there in college. Yeah, it was oh, so fun. They had the best parties there. <laughs> they had really cool stuff going on there. So it, this was a th- it's a three-year-old, also won the three-year-old award for Pacer of the Year. So congratulations to Confederate. Uh Two other thing, or one other thing, I uh, wanted to mention that you know we we've been doing a property here and there that are for sale, and I thought I'd share this one with you, and then you're going to guess the price. Don't look at the link yet. Okay. Okay. This is an equestrian dream home in California. Billion dollars. It's near Montecito, <laughs> California, which apparently is where a lot of celebrities live now. They moved out of Beverly Hills and went to Montes- Mont- Montecito. Just say Montecito. 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 20 acres in Summerland near Montecito. Uh, it's called the Bella of Vista Estate. And uh, it has a lavish Mediterranean-style mansion with a 5,000-bottle wine cellar. First of all, who could afford 5,000 bottles of wine? And who could drink 5,000 bottles of wine? We could give it a try. It has an adjoining tasting room, so you don't even have to leave the wine cellar to drink your wine. It is a disco ballroom. Yes, you heard that right. Uh, And it can accommodate 200 people in the ballroom. A 20-seat movie theater, a sports bar, a beauty salon, because, you know, you don't want to leave the house to get your hair done, a gym, and a spa. There's also a 34-foot formal marble entry, uh, and just all the other stuff you would expect in the house. But outside the main house, there are two guest houses, as well as an Olympic-length infinity pool, a 32-car garage. Oh, my God. A helicopter hangar, because, you know... You, you 32 cars isn't enough. You have to take your helicopter. Well, I mean, the staff that you would need to run the movie theater, sports bar, beauty salon, <laughs> gym, and spa, you know, that you need to fly them in and out easy. A third, three, the, now, this is a perfect place for horse people, horse women, and their non-horsey husbands because it has a 330-yard driving range, a putting green, landscaped gardens with streams, ponds, and even a monarch butterfly habitat. It has a 10-acre polo field, which has hosted numerous international polo matches, and it includes a polo clubhouse, a barn with space for 17 horses, riding trails throughout the property, and now you can go look at the pictures and go, holy crap. Okay. This is an enormous house. (laughs) It's just enormous. This is amazing. I'll put a link to it in our show notes too. Uh, Who who built this? Who owned it? Like, what did they? I always want to know what they did for a living. It was uh, they were in finance, is what they said. You know, they were in finance. Oh my! You didn't say it's right on the beach. It's right on the water. Yeah, this is just an unbelievable place. So you can get it for a mere. Uh, seventy million dollars. So your horse husband's gonna have to have a good job. <laughs> Patrick <laughs> Nesbitt and his wife Ursula owned it. I'm gonna Google that guy. <laughs> yeah, see if he is single now. <laughs> <laughs> they were asking uh, fifty-five million a couple years ago. They couldn't get it, so they took it off the market, and now they have it back at seventy million. So apparently, if in in California, if you can't sell it, you don't lower the price; you increase the price. Uh, that's what you do in California, but yeah, it's a, it's a nice place. It's 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 definitely beautiful. But maybe we could all go together on that one. Oh my God, no, we can't. But I sure would love to try. <laughs> 
All right. Let's go to our first guest. We're going to call Catherine, who's with French Horse Export. <gasps> it's auctioning off with no reserve. Oh, really? Maybe we can get it. Oh, wow. And he's a hotelier. Maybe 200 Hotel 000. magnet. He's a hotel magnet. Can we get it for like 200 grand, you think? Let's keep looking. <laughs> we'll try. All right. Coming up, it's Catherine. She is with French Horse Exports, and we're going to talk about importing your first horse and what's all Embassy Suites. He, he owns Embassy Suites. Oh, uh, well, that explains that, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we get to our next guest, we want to talk about Stateline TAC. And I do have to let you know that Stateline is going to be out and about, and you can visit their booths at a bunch of different things coming up. And the first event is this weekend, February 29th to March 3rd, at the Horse World Expo at the Pennsylvania Farm Show Complex. I know a bunch of listeners were talking about going to that. So if you're at Horse World Expo, stop by the Stateline booth. Then they're going to be at Equine Affair. I'll be there as well on April 11th to the 14th. By the way, we will have a booth, uh, Horse Radio Network. We'll have a booth at Equine Affair, and we'll be doing live shows from there. So look for me at Equine Affair in Ohio, April 11th through the 14th. And then at the Kentucky Horse Park, of course, for the Defender Kentucky three-day event uh, presented by Mars Equestrian. They'll be there. They're always set up with one of the biggest booths in the whole place, April 25th through the 28th. And then at Equine Affair in Massachusetts again, November 7th through the 10th. Look for Stateline Tech. If you can't get there, then just head on over to StatelineTech.com for all of your shopping needs. As I said, we have Catherine McMahon with us. She is from French Horse Exports. Hi, Catherine. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Now, I you're in the United States, but your partner's in France, right? Yes, she's based in St. Lo in Normandy, where I actually used to live as well. Okay, cool. Well, we wanted to focus today on somebody who's looking at importing a horse for the first time. They've never done it before. And I'm sure you get that. I mean, you probably get people like that. So what do, what do you start when you're looking at doing that? You know, they, you know, how do you begin? Do you have to see the horse? Do you have to go over there? All of the details. Absolutely. Um, the majority of our clients do travel over to sit on horses and try them. I think especially for first-time buyers, that seems to be a better experience because it is scary, you know, <clears throat> spending that kind of money and maybe not knowing what you're going to get. And so um, if that's the case, then we organize all of that. But <clears throat> we do have people that buy off video as well. And if that's the case that they're buying off video, then we try to kind of, you know, video all sorts of things that they want to see with the horse so that there's no surprises. But I would say, as I said, um, probably 60 to maybe even 70% of our clients come over to try them. And are they going to just your place or are they tr going to multiple places while they're there? So we act as a broker. Um, we do have a couple of our own horses, uh, but the majority of the horses that we do sell, we just represent because we found when we started the business that a lot of the sellers didn't have access to the American market, whether that was a language barrier or they didn't really know how to market their horses over there or, you know, a trust issue. People aren't wanting to buy always a horse from someone that maybe they can't communicate with or they don't know or they don't know their reputation. And so we kind of bridge that gap between the buyers and the sellers. And then um, now, as we've had the business for 11 years, the majority of the Breeders, riders, trainers, uh, they'll contact us directly when they have horses that they think would be good for the American market. How do you market in America or is it all word of mouth? 
Um, a lot of our business has actually been word of mouth. That's kind of how we built it. But we do have, I mean, we have, you know, the, the standard social media, um, Instagram, Facebook. We have a website. Uh, we do use a couple of platforms that we found have been really good, like ProEquest and um, Equivant. And then kind of it's just, I go to a lot of horse shows to meet new clients and kind of um, talk to new potential buyers and, you know, make myself known and so people can put a face to a name kind of thing. And that, that helps also in the, in the trust situation of buying a horse uh, in France. So why does somebody, I always wondered this too, we're breeding more and more horse quality horses here now than we ever have in the United States. So why, why does somebody choose to import over purchase, purchasing domestically? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so in France, I, I like to explain it as they've been breeding <clears throat> these, you know, top quality horses for hundreds of years. And uh, like my business partner, I'm not as, you know, savvy in the breeding situation, but she will tell you she knows exactly what bloodline carries what and what to breed to. And so the knowledge is just, I think it's just so much deeper over there and which produces, in, in my opinion, really high quality horses. And then in turn, the, I think the bar is a bit higher in France. And the, the reason for that is the breeding. And also they start the young horses very differently. Um, all the horses in the show jumping world, for example, um, as four-year-olds will go into the four-year-old series and they create these um, shows for them that get them used to jumping and, you know, big wide turns. The oxers are more inviting. And then it starts to get harder in the five-year-old series and then even harder in the six-year-old series. And then there is a seven-year-old series. And that's like, if it's jumping, the seven-year-olds were like, it's going to be a Grand Prix horse. And they have so many horses at higher levels that it's kind of like a bigger bang for your buck if you buy over there because they're going to be priced lower for a meter 20 horse, for example, than you're going to find in the States, even with import, because for them, a meter 20 horse is nothing really special. You know, they have such higher quality. Do we tend to start them faster than they do? Um, I'm not sure. I think we just start them differently. I think that in my experience, and I haven't, you know, been showing in the States for a while because I'm so busy with the business, but is that there, there's not as many, first of all, there's not as many young horse shows here. There are, but there, you know, a lot of the people that do show are amateurs or, you know, there are professionals, but they're also catering towards the amateur clients. And so there's not this, this distinct young horse show series like they have in Europe. Like all of the young horses go into these shows for the most part in Europe and they, they don't in the U.S. If that makes sense. That's and we have the hunters yeah. here too. So that yeah, kind of changes things. Yeah. So do you do, so you're, you would do a vet vetting, you do the vetting over there, the pre-purchase? Yes. So um, the, the main thing, so how the process works is once we've negotiated the price and everyone's happy, um, we'll do a blood test. It's pyroplasmosis. So the horses, there's a couple of other blood tests that have to be done, but those are always normally negative. But pyroplasmosis is something that um, the horses have to be negative. It's tick-borne. And unfortunately, we're finding more and more horses testing positive. I mean, that's not a huge number of horses, but we've had more tests positive. There's more of a concentration in the south of France and not as much in the north of France. But with ticks, I guess, migrating and um, we're finding it, it to be more of a problem. So we like to do that before we ever start a vetting. Because if the horse is positive, we can't even continue at all with with the process. 
and they can't be imported when they have that when they test positive, right? No, no, it's a it's a really big, and we actually pay attention to the titers because some horses will have a higher concentration, like they maybe had had a little bit of exposure to it. And we've actually, not us personally, but we've heard stories of horses testing positive upon arrival because their titers were so high in Europe that the stress or whatever created it even higher. And then they actually had to be um, exported from the U.S. back to the country where they came from. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah. And who wants to pay that bill? (laughs) like twice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we we're really cautious with with that. And once once we know that's negative, then we're like, okay, you know, green light, let's go ahead. It's it's we can do the rest of the process. <laughs> so let's say the horse passes and then, you know, okay, I'm going to buy the horse and I wire the money or do whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh do the contract. Mm-hmm. Uh so at that point the horse is mine and so if it gets hurt in shipping back here, it's my responsibility at yes. that point. So get some insurance. So immediately. we do encourage. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we yeah. encourage. We encourage clients. Please insure. Um, we have a couple of brokers we work with that um, we know that are good. So if they don't have a broker they've used before, we will suggest one. But um, we are. We say you know it's it's your risk. It's your liability. So please please insure your horse. You know once the money is wired. <laughs> and the broker fees are. The, is it like a house where the seller pays the broker fees or? Is that paid by both? How does that work? So it's it's different in the sense we ask the buyers to, um, we charge a 10% commission fee, which is pretty standard practice on what trainers charge for, for sales and things like that, 10 or 15%. We just do 10. Um, and we're super open about the pricing because that, that is kind of a problem in the horse world where people don't know the commissions that are involved sometimes. And so we're really open about that on the contract. And um, I know that some buyers, especially first-time buyers, will sometimes balk at the fact that we're charging them, but we do everything for the buyer. So, for example, if they're not buying that horse or something goes wrong, we find another. And so we're really working more for them than the seller, if that makes sense. So it's kind of like having a buyer's agent when you're buying a house. It's like it's exactly. like taking a trainer exactly. with you to look at horses. Yeah. I mean... So I've done this a few times for other people. And yeah, I did all the work. I contacted the person. I set up the Mm -hmm. videos and the showings Mm -hmm. and all that. And then, yeah, I got Mm -hmm. 10% of the, well, I always say 10% of the original purchase price, because if I negotiate down, uh, it's not coming out of my pocket, you know? So um, Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. I mean, it was, it's so much work and so much time and so much effort. And then, I mean, Mm -hmm. following up years later, I still hear about these horses. So, uh, yeah, no, that's a quite quite the fair. And the it's fair also goal, nice I to have it. a translator, right? I mean, because if they don't speak English, yeah, yeah. it really it really is. Because some of the places that you know they're they're they might speak a little English, but um, they might not be comfortable or whatever. So it, it depends. You know, it really depends on where we're going. Because sometimes we we do work with a lot of the same breeders, um, but we also might find something with a new breeder or we might go somewhere where we travel really far because it's a really specific type of horse that that client needs. That's why I worked with England. 
<laughs> I speak their language. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, this is terrific. You know, uh, so now if somebody is looking at buying or, you know, doing their first time, they can just contact you. You talk to them, figure out what exactly they're looking for, and then you can steer them in the right direction and also not waste their time looking at stuff that's not going to fit, either price-wise or otherwise. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, in the first couple years, we still were, you know, kind of figuring everything out in the business. We we started it completely by accident. So it was not like we were like planning and like organized. It was kind of like, oh, we have, there's a lot of horses here for sale. Like maybe you should buy some, you know? And so um, now we, we have a lot better idea and we actually have know a lot of our clients so well. We have mostly repeat clients, which is amazing. It's trainers, you know, a kid needs a new horse, it needs a step-up horse, or, you know, they have a new client. And so we know also what those trainers want for resales. And when I see, for example, a really good hunter prospect, I immediately shoot off about, you know, 10 to 20 WhatsApp messages to all the people that I know that that horse fits for them. Or if it's a specific course, I know that, you know, one trainer might want as a resale, then I'll send that off. And so oftentimes those are the horses that get bought off of video because we just know we've been working with, you know, these trainers for, for years now and we know what they like. And, you know, it's it's kind of we've, we've fine tuned everything. Well, one, one other question uh, before we let you go. Have prices settled a bit since COVID or are we still are yeah, they still up there? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, they're, they definitely have gone up. Um, we've seen, you know, over the last 11 years, obviously inflation has gone up over the last 11 years, but the last three years we've, we've definitely seen, um, a bigger increase. And I think one of the nice things in our business model is that because my business partner, Alize is French, she's able to have serious conversations with our, you know, French breeders, riders, trainers, et cetera about pricing and and what people are willing to pay. And so a lot of times, every single price you see normally is negotiable. To what point negotiable, uh, you know, it depends on the situation. So I think, you know, I really try and encourage our clients that just because they have a certain budget doesn't mean they, they shouldn't look outside or there might be situations where prices do come down. And we are really good at at negotiating and putting all the, you know, the aspects to the seller and being like, Hey, you have, you know, 50 other horses in the barn. Do you want to sell this? Do you want to, you know, what can we do here? So I think prices are staying stabilizing in the last year, but, um, I do think they could be a little bit better in my opinion. I just think people are also, the other thing we're running into is the French, market has gotten a little bit savvy on what Americans are paying for horses. Mm. And um, so they have upped prices a little bit, which is, is a problem, but I'm, I'm actually going over to France in about a month to do um, kind of like a clinic with the breeders and all that stuff on pricing and, and different things and prepping your horses and all that stuff, just because they have to still make it attractive for people to buy in, in Europe. And that's something that they need to understand is just because people are paying for that horse in the U S like that, if they want to export their horse and sell it with a trainer in the U S wonderful, they might be able to get that price, but people are coming over because it is cheaper and they still need to make it attractive. And that way they can still sell a lot of their horses versus maybe just selling one a year. If that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. And the market, 
kind of corrects itself that way too over time. So exactly, you know, when exactly. they're not selling any horses, they'll come down. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. They have to, well, Catherine. I appreciate your candor too. I do appreciate that. It Absolutely. is FrenchHorseExports.com is where you can find a link. It's been fascinating talking to you, and we really appreciate you joining us. Yeah, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. This horse health report is brought to you by Daily Dose Equine Non-GMO Core Nutrition for Horses and Ponies of All Ages. I would like to welcome to the show Dr. Claire Thunes, who is an equine nutritionist, veterinarian, PhD, all those things, who owns Clarity Equine Nutrition based in Gilbert, Arizona. Hi, Dr. Thunes. Hi, I just want to clarify, I'm actually, I am all those things except a veterinarian. Okay, well, you're a doctor, so we'll go with that. I am. (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you for coming on. You are one of the one people in the the country right now who's not probably suffering from weather being in Gilbert, Arizona. Is it lovely? It is. It is, but it's, I'm walking around my house today with no socks on, which is like a sign of, oh, brother, it's coming. Summer's coming. <laughs> Summer's coming, but it's, it's a, I lived in Arizona for 10 years. Yeah, this is the best time of year there. And we just went from, uh, let's see, 85 yesterday to 17 today. So, you know what, Boy. we're just. We're trying to keep horses warm, which is why we find found your article uh, from thehorse.com. And it's uh, basically, for winter weather-wise, what's better, alfalfa or grass hay? So let's talk hay. Okay. So with the, the article starts out with a question. I've heard alfalfa is good for hay at choice at night because it helps generate heat. And then when I board my horse, they feed grass hay. They say it keeps them fuller longer. What hay is better for winter night feedings, grass or alfalfa? Yeah, it's a great question, right? So um, I would start off by saying that you don't want it to suddenly radically change your hay type just because the weather got cold and you think maybe, oh, I should feed alfalfa because it's going to keep my horse warmer. Um, and you don't normally feed alfalfa because that's a sure way to end up with colic, right? So we'll just get that one out of the way, especially with these temperature fluctuations you just mentioned. That's classic colic weather. But yeah, as to whether or not alfalfa or grass hay keeps your horse warmer in the winter, the reason why hay keeps your horse uh, warmer in the winter is because it's actually fermented in your horse's hindgut by a very large population of microbes and, and other, uh, you know, organisms in the hindgut that ferment that hay. And it's not a very efficient process. And so you're losing energy during that process. So all of the energy that's in your hay does not end up being utilized by those bacteria and released and available to the bacteria and the horse. Some of them are actually lost as heat uh, during that fermentation process. So feeding hay during cold weather kind of creates this sort of internal heating system inside your horse. It's like kind of having a sort of little central heater in the middle of your horse's um, you know, barrel because their digestive tract is going to be releasing all that heat. And so it helps keep the horse warm. So that's true of any hay, to be honest. Um, the question of whether alfalfa or grass hay is better, you know, alfalfa is higher in calories. Um, and so let's say we were going to choose between feeding straight alfalfa and straight grass hay. Straight, you know, alfalfa's got more calories per pound than grass hay. So let's say your horse has a calorie requirement per day of 20 megacalories per day. 
you're going to end up feeding less total alfalfa to that horse than you would total grass hay to meet that 20 megacalorie requirement. So that means you actually have less hay going into the horse, which means, you know, less material to ferment. So less heat generating opportunity. Ah. Um, So actually my preference is to feed grass hay, um, you know, for warmth. Um, I actually, for other reasons, prefer to only feed about 25, 30% of the total forage intake as alfalfa if I'm going to feed a horse alfalfa. The other thing about grass hay is it tends to be, depending on when it's cut, you know, possibly a little bit more stemmy, a little coarser, a more mature grass hay that's coarser and more stemmy is, is again, going to be a little harder to, to digest and there's going to be more fermentation. It's going to take a little longer, so potentially more heat generated off of that process as well. So my preference is actually grass hay in that situation, although I know that many people lean towards alfalfa. And I think some of that is because they think of alfalfa as being a higher protein hay. And there's a sort of misconception that, you know, high protein is is sort of high calorie. And to some degree, that's kind of true. But um, burning protein, metabolizing excess protein actually uses calories. So that's the foundation of like the Atkins diet, if we remember that diet from, you know, years and years ago, right? It's like eat tons of protein and lose weight. And one of the reasons for that is that it's actually metabolically demanding to break down protein and get rid of excess protein. So again, in the wintertime, when if you maybe have horses that are harder to keep weight on, it's possible that by feeding a ton of excess protein, you're making weight management a little more challenging because they're actually having to burn calories to get rid of all that excess protein that you fed them. I would Um, just like to stop you and say, this is the best explanation of dietary anything I've ever heard. First of all, that uh, I I didn't realize that's why the Atkins diet worked. And now you're saying that you feed less alfalfa, so it doesn't warm them as much as the grass. That was the best explanation I've ever heard. And I understand so much more uh, of it. And so I didn't mean to cut you off. That was just fascinating. Oh, you're welcome. No, I'm glad it made sense. So the nutritional content of hay affects their ability to stay warm in the winter. Is that something you have to concern yourself with in the summer? You're in Arizona. Is there cooling hay? That's a great question. And yes, I mean, we do see our horses here sometimes choosing to eat less hay than they would in the summer. And I do think that some of that is just this heat generating um you know, fact of feeding a lot of hay, it's, it creates a lot of internal heat. So if you're living where I am, and I think last year we had like 30 days in a row over 110 degrees, you know, that's hard on horses if they've also generating a ton of internal heat. So, you know, in the winter, I would rather feed more hay to generate that heat than leaning to, to um, you know, grains and commercial, you know, feeds and things, although obviously I'm going to feed well, I need to feed to balance that hay so I have a balanced ration. But in the summer, it may be that actually, you know, you need to lean in a little bit more to some of those higher calorie feeds so the horses can get, um, you know, more calories from those commercially available feeds than relying on their hay. Having said that, we always want to make sure that we're feeding at least one and a half percent of their body weight per day as forage because that's really important for maintaining gut function. 
Because again, those microbes in the hindgut are really important. And actually horses have um, a really neat, what we call symbiotic relationship with those microbes. So the microbes benefit from being in the horse because the horse eats all this you know, forage and, and hay, which keeps the microbes happy and gives them the food they want. And then the horse lives off the byproducts of that microbial fermentation process. And so if you have happy bugs in the hindgut, you generally have a pretty happy horse. And anytime you screw up the bugs in the hindgut, you're going to have a horse that's not as thrifty as it could be. So we always want to maintain, even if we are relying on some of those higher calorie performance or senior feed, we want to make sure that we have enough forage going into the diet um, or fiber going into the diet to maintain that happy, healthy microbial population in the hindgut. So if you do mess up that happy, healthy population, do you recommend, okay, so the reason I'm asking this is I recently uh, purchased a pony who came to me not quite like looking good, pot belly, just not looking great, you know, skinny, but with a pot belly and all this. And so we've had the vet out and stuff. Uh, do you think that he would benefit from a, an any horse that has a, an issue with this, some prebiotic, probiotic type feed or type supplement? Possibly. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're you know, specifically talking about the kind of pot belly type horses, there's a couple of reasons that come to mind for me, right? The first one is internal parasites. So it's great that you got your vet involved because you definitely want to make sure that gets taken care of because that's a look that we uh, often associate with internal parasites. Um, older ponies, you know, once they get into their sort of 15 plus senior years, Sometimes a pot belly look can be associated with, um, you know, a condition that we call Cushing's. Actually, it's really called um, PPID, but we all just call it Cushing's. Um, and that can lead to kind of a pot belly appearance in senior horses. So, again, that's something you want to get your vet involved with. Feeding a really low quality forage that takes a long time to ferment, <clears throat> excuse me, and um, that can result in a pot-bellied appearance because that forage is just staying in the hindgut for a long period of time. So if you're feeding a very stemmy, mature hay, that can result in a pot-bellied appearance as well. Um, so those, you know, those are definitely things, um, you know, to rule out with with that. But certainly, as far as a pre-probiotic, if you think that your horse has some, you know, hindgut disruption, my preference is to really, I go more with the prebiotic. So to clarify for your listeners, probiotics are actually live bacteria and we're feeding them and we're hoping that they get to the hindgut and that they actually are alive when they get there and can reproduce and multiply and flourish and help generate a good population of bacteria in the hindgut. The problem is, is that the hindgut is the end, behind end yeah. of the digestive tract. So you have to get through the stomach and the stomach is insanely acidic. I mean, the bottom of the stomach has a pH of like one or two. If you put that on your skin, it would take the top layer of skin off your fingers. It makes your oh, fingers wow. feel smooth. So part of the purpose of stomach acid is to kill bacteria that your horse has eaten from its environment that might be harmful to it. Things like, you know, salmonella and E. coli and other bugs and stuff that, you know, they come into contact with. That's part of the stomach acid's job is to kill those bacteria. So, are probiotics getting to the hindgut a lot? Uh-oh, we're going to have to start putting supplements up the butt. Uh, rectal <laughs> supplements now, you guys. We're all, you heard it here first. Uh-oh. I, I hope you use a different syringe than you do for the uh, oral ones. Huh? Right? I know, for sure. That You know, and so that's kind of, you know, my, there are some encapsulated um 
probiotics out there where they've kind of coated them in something that makes sure it gets through the stomach. But a prebiotic is where you're actually feeding the horse um, some things that bacteria like to live on and actually help the existing bacterial population to be more healthy. So that's going to be things like mananoligosaccharides, which gets, you know, on some labels gets abbreviated to MOS, M-O-S. Um, and, you know, these are forms of carbohydrates that bacteria find beneficial. Um, and so that's sort of, you know, your prebiotic approach is giving the existing bacterial population a helping hand by giving them substrates that benefit them. Um, and so there's a lot of like Saccharomyces cerevisiae yeast extracts and yeast culture uh, fermentation products and all those sorts of things fall into that prebiotic category. And interestingly, um, for some of the like Saccharomyces cerevisiae yeast data that's out there, it's been shown that it can help improve the utilization of dietary organic matter. So that would be things like the fiber in your diet. And so it's been shown to help horses get more out of the forage in their diet. Um, yeah, if you have a horse that's hindgut is not working optimally, that can certainly be beneficial. It can also be beneficial to horses that perhaps are struggling to maintain their weight because, you know, if the you know product that you feed plays out true to some of the research that we have, um, then it would suggest that it would be helping your horse get more out of the diet that you're feeding. So if you have, for example, an older senior horse who's, you know, struggling to really utilize his hay really well to maintain his weight, um, a prebiotic of that kind might actually really help a horse like that. I would love to hear a name of that because I, I have a senior horse who he's now 32 this year and he's a draft cross and he's a big boy and he's it looks great. He does great, but he's hitting the point now where he's had some dental issues and things. And girl, he just decided like this year he wasn't going to eat grass hay anymore. He's like, I'm not, mm. I'm not eating any grass hay. So now I've got him on uh, like a beet pulp rice bran alfalfa mash that I make. And I make it like three times a day. Just try to I, I I keep food in front of him all the time to where he's like, I'm not even hungry anymore, you know, like kind of thing. But any, anything yeah. else I can put in there to prolong his comfort would be a great, uh, I would welcome a suggestion. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're feeding what I call straights, which is all of the sort of rice, bran, beet pulp, the unfortified feeds, right? They're just kind of as they came from the plant, so to speak, maybe with a bit of you know processing like the beet pulp and rice bran. You want to make sure that you're actually adding the things that are not in there. And so initially, I'd be looking to definitely put him on a good what we call ration balancer in the industry. Okay. And so a ration balancer, um, a small serving size commercial feed, you normally only have to feed one or two pounds to an average size horse. They're highly fortified. So think, you know, sort of your daily multivitamin type product in a feed form. The reason why it's not a multivitamin supplement with like a four ounce serving size is that the ration balances tend to be high protein. So they're often around 30% protein. And so they're going, they have a larger serving size because they're also giving your horse some extra protein, which for your senior horse is really important because 
there's very limited research out there on feeding senior horses, but the little bit of research we have suggests that they maybe don't utilize their dietary protein as well as they should. And so feeding a really good quality source of what we call pre sort of hindgut available protein is really important. And the protein that is put in those ration balance is generally very digestible and gets absorbed in the small intestine where protein should be absorbed. So you're going to help that horse then have the building blocks it needs to maintain muscle mass and top line, which a lot of senior horses struggle with. It's then going to also give you all the missing pieces that are not in your forage and not in those unfortified beet pulp rice bran type feeds. So that's going to be, you know, zinc, copper, um, yeah, adequate, yeah. you know, adequate vitamin E. Those are all really important. And then when you look at the label, you can look and see: does that ration balancer also have digestive support ingredients in it? So you're going to look for things like Saccharomyces cerevisiae. You're going to look for things that that's you know a good prebiotic. You might look for some you know lactobacillus type um, bacteria, um, Aspergillus oryzae, which is another type of. Um, ingredient that get, helps with digestive tract function. Not all the manufacturers include those ingredients. So it's not, you know, you start looking at labels and start seeing, you know, am I getting that in my ration balance or, you know, the feed that I'm feeding or not. And then you get to the point where, you know, in your case, you're feeding rice bran for your high fat, you're feeding your beet pulp for your fermentable fiber. Now you've got to add a ration balancer. Could you just feed a really well-made senior feed? Yeah, no, no, I tried that. Put together. I tried that. No, he was on this one senior feed for like two years. And and it was the top of the line one in this area. And he just decided he didn't like that either. Like, he's like, no, I don't, I'm not. And so now he's tricky. He just now he eats like the regular grain that the X-rays horses eat. And he's like, I want the cheap stuff. It's quit buying expensive <laughs> stuff. So I got the cheap stuff. He's also on a vitamin E supplement. He gets oh, like, literally my day is surrounded and like <laughs> is making Duke comfortable. How can I serve you today, young man? Oh, you're not appreciating that. OK, <laughs> let me try try this. So I will add a ration balancer. I could talk to you forever. We have definitely taken up way too much of your time. But where can people go? So you're just a wealth of information. Where can people go to find out more about you? Yeah, so I have a website, clarityequine.com. Uh, That's where you can find all about my consulting services. And then uh, I actually have a podcast as well. So um, that's called Scoop and Scale. And uh, recently actually just talked about ration balances and senior feeds. So if, that, if our conversation has, has sparked people's interest today, I go into it in a lot more detail there. Um, so those are the two best places to find me. And then Clarity Equine Nutrition is on Facebook as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I'm going to go listen to the podcast now just to get some more information. So thank you, Dr. Thunes. We appreciate it and look forward to having you on again. You're welcome. I'd love to come back. Have a great day. You too. Hanging out here with the mad scientist who developed daily dose equine horse feed formulas, Janet Geyer. And you might wonder, whenever I get my horse feed delivered to my door in Maryland or Texas or California or Missouri, am I getting the same horse feed? And the answer is? The answer is that it is always the same formula, always the same horse feed. We don't change ingredients. Uh, We are a fixed formula feed mill. 
time to learn why some days you're embarrassed to be part of the human race in Jamie's Weird News. Oh, it's my favorite time of the week. Honestly, I love this. I love reading and researching and checking out the links to all the stories that y'all are sending me. Jamie at Horse Radio Network with weird news in the subject line. If you're reading through the news and you're like, that is so weird, email it to me because I would love to include it in on the show. And some get on and the other ones that don't, I love reading as well. (laughs) I don't know. I sent you one and you said, hell no. I'm not not doing that, Glenn. It was gross. (laughs) Like... It's weird. I can't. It was weird, but I can't talk about <laughs> copulation on equine trails in in California. It just that's not the kind of show we have. Okay, but now I did it. Uh, so see, I knew I was going to get that story in one way or another. Well, I mean, uh, the other one was the bugs up the guy's nose that a bunch of people sent me to. Oh yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, I saw that. I don't <laughs> want to. Re- I didn't even want to read the story. So I mean, again, I love it, but. Keep sending it. Don't edit yourself. Uh, but I would like to thank Glenn, Ashley, Sandy, Laureen, Calvin, Lisa, and Rosemary for all sending me weird news stories. There was, um, we're going to focus in today on a lot of theft. A lot of people, bad people doing bad things. Okay. So on Thursday, as an Amazon delivery driver and Hot, uh, parked in this is in Palo Alto, California. Okay, and parked uh, on West Charleston Road and hopped out of the van to run up on the porch and make the delivery. But I mean, you know, they're not going to shut the car off every time, do they? Well, he left the keys and the ignition and the engine running. And when he turned around, he saw the van being driven away, tires squealing, take off, blasting away. So he calls the police and he's like, my Amazon truck was stolen. Uh, So, of course, they've got trackers in it. So they track the van and the woman who stole it ended up driving it to the Amazon facility in San Jose. All the packages were there. Everything was where it was supposed to be. And she took the van to an Amazon place she just brought it back and, home <laughs> and they came out no because she was in palo alto oh, but she amazon drove place. it to san jose <laughs> the the amazon in san jose like how would she even know what the was anyway so they go to arrest her and they were like what did you do and she's like i needed to get to san jose <laughs> <laughs> she forgot a rental car <laughs> i mean uh, however, she has now been booked on felony vehicle theft, and turns out she was out on bail. So now she's committed a felony oh. while on bail, which is another. I give felony. her extra credit though for returning it. <laughs> Why would you drive it back to the Amazon, dude? Here it is. Oh. I didn't steal it. It's not stealing that. It it's you. just borrowing. You're it's welcome. This is not technically theft, but it's kind of theft. So we're going to go to Licking County, Ohio. Okay. And um, this library in Licking County, a patron walked into the library and said, hi, I need to return this library book. I was just in my, my great aunt's house and going through her things. And I found this book. And it appears to have been checked out from this Licking County Library. And the um, 
person behind the you know the works at the library the librarian says okay wonderful uh the the book looks like it's been taken care of and it's in really good shape and uh yeah uh it's 93 years overdue <laughs> 93 years overdue <laughs> it was been around a while <laughs> it's been around a minute the book is called heartthrobs and it was published in 1905 and it's poetry it's like a whole book of poetry from different people that wrote poems and published it in this book that her great aunt checked out a million years ago. And uh, here's the good news that the library as of like 2017 stopped charging late fees. Do you think they regret that now? Like, yeah, it's $427,000. Um, 93 years overdue. The that book was finally returned. Yeah. It has to. I mean, obviously it went like super viral. I've read this on Fox News. So <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable. All right. So um, there was a car that was stolen and being driven erratically. Okay. So there's another theft story. Um, and so unfortunately the car crashed and had five people in it. So some guy stole the car took his friends for a joyride, wrecked. Everybody had to go to the hospital. Okay. Well, the driver was being arrested and charged because he stole the car. Um, we're going to, this is in Fairfax County, Virginia. All right. So the driver stole the car and they're all in the hospital. And of course they've got the police that are watching the driver, but they did not watch the other people who were in, uh, and that's including this one young man. Um, I'm not getting, I, I don't think they give his name. Oh, his name is Ricky Lowe. He's 32 years old. He was in this car accident and had to go to the hospital and he was in the ICU and he was hooked up to an IV and he had the hospital gown on and he decided I'm out of here. <laughs> so young man runs out the hospital carrying his IV on the thing with his gown, probably flapping in the breeze. You can see his butt as he runs out of the hospital. He's got to get out there, Glenn. What does he do? He hops in an ambulance whoop, and takes off with an IV still attached. I mean, Pull that puppy out. He's got the Not IV exactly bag, drip bag. No. <laughs> no. However, the police said took us a couple days to catch up with him. He's a big guy. You'd think we'd find him pretty quickly in a hospital gown with an IV hanging out of his in arm. An but it took us a couple days. <laughs> he stole the ambulance. He went and he was on the run for days. They did find the ambulance pretty quick, but he like Basically dumped the ambulance, took off. No word on when he ha actually pulled the IV out of his. Believe it or not, he is a previous drugs. <laughs> so call me crazy, but he has now been Big arrested. Surprise. Big surprise. Fortunately. You know, how many ambulances have we had stolen in the last year? Maybe the drivers could take the keys out when they. Maybe get a, a remote. Boop, boop. Yeah, something. I, I know we have a couple Lock of ambulance drivers up. in our audience. Is there a reason you leave the keys in? Maybe there's a, a legitimate reason why they have to leave the keys in in the truck running so somebody could steal it. I don't know. But 
Just the maybe thought. Amazon driver could contact us too and also <laughs> let us yeah. know if they have a policy of leaving their truck running when they go up to a house in the hood. I, got, I mean, call me crazy. One of the electric Amazon vehicles is what delivers to our neighborhood. And I got to tell you, they are quiet. That's <laughs> just, they kind of yeah, sneak I around. Yeah, I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> they sneak up and they're like, oh, where'd you come from? Yep. <laughs> I love Mark. Because it is theft day on Horses in the Morning, there's a man in Blair County, Pennsylvania. His name is John. You know, it's good when they give you three names. John Lee Pittman, uh, 32 years old. 32 seems to be the magic number today for criminals. He's uh, arrested over the weekend. Uh, Let me give you a guess where he was when he was arrested in the middle of Rural Pennsylvania, Glenn. Um, no idea. Walmart, come on. Oh, <laughs> uh, it was an easy one. Okay, sorry. Okay, so apparently this young man, uh, John Lee Pittman, has a young man. He's not young. And by the way, I've seen his I mean, his mugshot is like staring into my soul. He looks very angry at me. Right. <laughs> This mugshot I'm looking at. So uh, he decided to go shopping in Walmart and he got grabbed a cart and he's walking up and down the rows and he's like, hmm, you know what I need? I need some meat. So he goes to the meat section and he fills up his cart with meat, including very large amount of bacon. And then he's like, mm, I feel like I need to go to the sporting goods section where he then mm, drives up, walks up and goes, I need me some shotgun shells. So he grabs a whole bunch of shotgun shells and he continues to walk through the Walmart collecting items and putting them in his cart. Uh, and then he goes and he picks up a um, a blanket and then he puts the blanket over the cart and walks out. <laughs> 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 with $1,176.55 worth of Walmart items that he did not pay for. And they're like, excuse me, hey, excuse me. And so he starts to run, but this is a big cart. And so the police catch up with him in the parking lot. Like, he didn't make it very far. You have a full and cart he, if you have $1,000 worth of stuff in it. Can you imagine $1,000 of stuff at Walmart? You well, got, it's not you anymore. It's, it's, uh, you know, it, that, it's not hard to imagine anymore, actually. Well, when you got meat and bullets, yeah. Glenn. Yeah. When you got bacon and bullets. <laughs> So he has been arrested. John Lee Pittman is in prison. Lots of guys got arrested this week and girls for stealing things. Well, Drugs are bad. I ha- Can I give you another story to end the day? Uh, and okay. I was going to do this in the post show, but we're going to do it for everybody because it's that good. So I Okay. I can't wait. Oh, oh, you even got the sound effects. <laughs> this is going to be good. So this is a marriage. Uh, we spent uh, a week on the cruise, and Robin was on the cruise. And Robin has a carriage business, but she does a lot of Indian weddings as well, where they bring the horse and the, I guess the, the, gro- the groom, groom comes in on the horse, right? So this is an Indian wedding to beat all Indian weddings. And this is actually in India. And it's the union of Anant Ambini and Radhika Merchant. Uh, And it's being touted as the wedding of the year. And it's going to be a three-day extravaganza. Every guest, by the way, care to guess how many guests from around the world have been invited? A thousand. Exactly. One thousand guests. <laughs> oh, I'm good. I, I read a lot of weird news, Glenn. Go ahead. Try They've to issued to each guest that got their copy of the nine-page dress code, 
What? Yes, for the wedding, because it's over three days, and there's multiple activities, and they have issued a dress code for each activity. So among the requirements for outfits are black tie on cocktail dresses for the first evening. That's the traditional Indian formal wear, uh, or that's the traditional Indian what they call pre-wedding party. So I guess it'd be kind of like our... Pre, you know, the, but everybody's invited to it. Like the rehearsal yeah, dinner. Yeah, except everybody, all thousand can go to this one. Um, and they are asked to be prepared for no fewer than five different outfits for the celebrations. Now, she is the daughter, you might ask, of a billionaire whose name I can't say, Mr. Merchant, who is the CEO yeah. of private health firm Encore Healthcare. And then okay. <clears throat> he is the youngest son of blah, 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 India's richest man and managing director of Reliance Industries, which has a revenue of $110 billion a year. So we have two, oh, we have the kids who are the children of the richest people in India. So there you go. They have hired. This tw- is like the Brad Pitt, Jennifer Aniston <laughs> yeah. wedding of yes. the year. I, you know, it's interesting that these two found each other. They reportedly hired 21 chefs to feed their 1,000 guests at their lavish home. Oh, they're having it at home, by the way. Uh, according to the Times of India, chefs employed by the luxury hotel have prepped more than 2,500 different dishes spanning Chinese, Mexican, and Thai cuisine. The, Is this a, the, <coughs> in the embassy suites? <laughs> the guests will have the choice of 75 different options for breakfast, 225 different options for lunch, and there will also be 85 catering options at any time you can get delivered to your room. And then apparently they have a traditional midnight meal, if you haven't eaten enough by that point, which runs from 12 to 4 a.m. Who wants to Y'all eat a meal drunk. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it depends (laughs) on how drunk you are. Some of us want some grease and midnight, you know? Uh, They will be, all guests will have access to laundry services throughout the weekend. Uh, And you, the booklet also states that hairstylists, makeup artists, and sari drapers will also be on hand to help. Because in the final evening, you have to wear a traditional Indian outfit. Um, So is this an arranged marriage or is this like? didn't say that. Um, didn't say that. So, I mean, we've all seen Aladdin and she was supposed to marry a sultan. So, uh, you know, royalty, she was supposed to marry a prince by order of this sultan. So I don't know. I mean, maybe this is one of those things could Could be, be. who knows the first night, uh, they will have a cocktail. I've seen Indian matchmaking on Netflix. So I'm a pro. They will have, uh, the first night they'll have a cocktail party with the theme of an evening in Everland, whatever that means. The following day. Now this is something you're going to enjoy. The following day. It's like some Bollywood awesomeness. I'm excited. I want to go. It's probably going to be live covered live on TV. They have been told to wear comfortable shoes for day two to take a walk on the wild side by visiting the groom's Reliance Animal Rescue Center, which spans 650 acres and homes more than 2,000 animals. I am in. I'm going to this. I'm crashing. <laughs> that evening, the couple will host Mala Rouge, and the guests will have been told to dress in dazzling Desi romance style. I don't even know what most of this, this means. This is so Bollywood. I'm so excited. <laughs> On the third day, guess what? Will are there told- be dance numbers and all <laughs> that? Sure. I mean, I want all of it. On the third day, guests have been told to pack something casual chic for the Tusker Trails, where they will presumably explore the local area. 
and the final thousand people. Yeah, no, exploring the local area. On the final event, it's called the Hashkatur, which is described as a signature event, which guests will be expected to wear traditional clothing and all of that. And all of this will cost one hundred million dollars. No, what? One hundred million dollars. This wedding. Oh my how, gosh. How soon? I'm taking over unders uh, that they're divorced within five years. They can't. I don't think they will let them. Like, you die together. Like, you are. This is what you, you do. I don't know. You maybe can't, you, you can cheat, just not get divorced. We don't care what I don't know. Now. I need to brush up on my. Um, well, I need you know to what? go watch. Robin might know. Robin, let us know. You do Indian weddings. Maybe you're an expert. Let us know. Can they get divorced? Like, is yeah. it a thing? Is this, are they all arranged? I need more information. Yeah, I'm going to do a deep dive. This is awesome. Ooh. Yeah, and obviously the wealthiest of the wealthy, the Bill Gateses of the world, have been been, been invited. So, um, is this something you would want to go to, or is it like a lot of hassle? I, w- I mean, if you were asking me, I'm, I'm in. I would love it, <laughs> okay. and I want to wear a surrey too. I, like, I want to dress the part. I want to be involved. All and by the, the way, my favorite food thing. is it. My favorite food is Indian food, so I would... Well, you have a choice of 225 different dishes, so you can find something And I like. can eat Indian food at 2 in the morning, and this is <laughs> yeah. the greatest While thing drinking, ever. What do they drink in India? All, all of it. Lots all of, of it. stuff. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure the bar is going to be well-stocked at this wedding. That won't be a problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, there was my weird news. Uh, tomorrow, we have an off day, actually, here, because it's the fifth Thursday. Because guess what tomorrow is? Isn't it crazy? Tomorrow is uh, the 29th. Leap year. And Leap I year. It, and happy birthday to all the leap year babies who only get to celebrate every four years, by the way. Uh, I know, right? And That's... I said to Jennifer this morning, I said, you got to bring the board check out. It's the end of the month. She said, no, I got one more day. I said, no, it's the 28th. <laughs> <laughs> she said, no, I have one more day. I'm good. So, yeah, I didn't even realize it this morning. So, happy leap year, everybody. And we look forward to being back with you on Friday. Next week, I wanted to make an announcement, too. If you're in Aiken, uh, we are going to do the show. You're still involved, Jamie. But I'm just going to be recording the show because we're going all week next week to Aiken to visit Lena. We're going to be doing the show from Aiken Saturday. And my friend, Amy Hebert, who we figured out is kind of a distant relation of mine. And we became good friends with her on the first road show and did the show from her store then. And we're going to do the show from her store there. She's going to kind of sit in with us and give us a little bit of the flavor of Aiken as well. So that's coming up next week. If you're around and want to stop by, and say hi. We'll be recording at Aiken Saddlery from 9 to like 11 o'clock on Wednesday morning. So if you want to stop in and say hi and visit Jennifer. Oh, I want to go. That sounds so good. You've never been to Aiken, have you? Nah, yeah. not too, no. No, you, so. Aiken's just such a cool town. It really is. So we look forward to everybody seeing anybody and anybody who wants to stop by on Wednesday morning and visit us at Aiken Saddlery. We'll be there then. That's it for today. Thanks, everybody. All right, everybody, spay, neuter, gal. No post show, everybody. No post show. A hundred million dollars for wedding. When you got billions, I mean. Bill, that's got to sting. Chump change. I think the bride has to pay it all. Bride's dad, or do you think they split yeah. it because of the two richest people? The bride. <laughs>